Hey church family, Mike Herrera here. Just a few announcements as we get started this morning. If you've been attending for a while and are interested in making Wheaton Bible Church your home, our new members class is Sunday, November 6th during the 1030 service in Connect Central. For more information and to get registered, visit wheatonbible.org membership or reach out to Andy Stahl. Our kids and students need you. And on Sunday mornings during the 10.30 a.m. service, more people are needed to help kids and students explore what it means to follow Jesus and challenge them to grow in their faith. We have incredible opportunities to serve in all ages and for all ages to serve. If you're interested in serving, reach out to any member of our Family Life staff. Well, it's that time of the year again where we're all inevitably confused if we gain or lose an hour. Don't forget, next Saturday night before you go to bed, turn your, your clocks back one hour. You'll be ready to go in the morning. That way you don't show up at the wrong service. That's it for this week. Have a great Sunday and an awesome week ahead. Yeah. 
That is the Lord's gracious invitation to us today to lift up our voices to him and sing as a congregation. It is, in fact, one of the great legacies of the Reformation that God's people are equipped to sing together as a congregation. And so let us sing out today. Let us sing loud. Let us sing confidently, not just as an act of devotion to God, but also as an encouragement and instruction to your brothers and sisters around us. Another great legacy of the Reformation is God's word in our own language. And so today on Reformation Sunday, we have a couple of more extended congregational readings. I encourage you that as we read, that we read out loud with conviction as we proclaim our salvation through Christ alone for his glory. Let's stand and sing together. justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and them, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's.
seated. I'm sorry. Please stand again. <laughs> we need to stand to say the Apostles' Creed before we're done. Amen? Amen. All right. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy, Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. The book of Romans tells us that God's kindness and patience are meant to lead us to repentance. In view of his grace and his power and his glory that we have sung and read about this morning, let us take a moment to come to him silently, individually, to confess and repent of our sin. Let's take a moment now. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you humbly, confessing our sin. We receive the forgiveness and reconciliation that we can only receive through Jesus. In view of your grace, we resign all the follies of sin for your sake. Our love for you grows as we see your love for us. We see the depth of our sin that you forgave through an even deeper love that you showed to us at Calvary. We offer ourselves and our lives to you as, as a response to your great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and continue to sing.
as we continue in this attitude of worship, recognizing that our God is the God of the universe. I'm going to call the ushers to please come to the front. And as they come to the front, I want to remind you that as a church, we believe that giving, sacrificial giving, is both an act of worship and an act of adoration. And if you're new to the church, I wanted to share with you that there's three different ways in which you could support the church financially. You could always give online, going to witbiblechurch.org slash give. You could always give you offering as we pass the plates every Sunday. Or if you're worshiping with us online, you could always send you offering to the offices of the church. You may pass the plates. As we continue to um, pass the plates, I wanted to share something really cool with you today. As you know, in the last, uh, during the last two weeks, uh, during Missions Fest, we called you to pray and to give sacrificially for this special offering dedicated for the global cause of Christ and the local cause of Christ. And last time we met, I reported to you that up to last Friday, not this Friday, but the Friday before that, we had collected $123,000. That was Friday. That means that from Friday, Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, um, more money came in from you generous people. I'm happy to inform and report to you that by the end of Sunday night, the church, a Whitman Bible Church, Iglesia del Pueblo, gave $242,000 for the glory of God. As cool and as amazing that is, as, as much as that is an evidence of God working in us and through, and through us, um, I think that that, is, that that giving is much more special simply because of the amount of money we gave. This is the first time that about 500 unique household givers, units, gave to a Missions Fest offering. The first time. We exceeded any other expectation that we had before. But what makes this even more beautiful is not just that there were $200,000 and 500 different units given, but the kind of people that gave. And I wanted to share that with you. During this offering... We have quite a few, we had a number of people that gave out of their retirement accounts. You know what that means? That they're trusting the Lord with their future. Amen? We had people from all kinds of generation giving. We had one, at least one young person, I came from a student, that last year when we collected the offering, he decided to start saving from last year to this year so he could give an offering this year to the Missions Fest. Isn't that cool? It gets better. There's at least one kid that we know of that sacrificed his allowance to give to the missions fest. Now, if you remember when you were being a kid, your allowance is a big deal, even if it's $2. I'm so grateful that the Lord has given us a church that is a multi-generational church that is committed to the mission of God. And that we should celebrate. Amen? How about if we give glory once again? 
Thank you for participating. Thank you for trusting the Lord. Let's continue moving forward, trusting in everything that the Lord is going to do in us and through us. We'll keep you posted um, and the stuff that the Lord is doing with the money you gave. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are a generous God. That the reason, Lord, why your church gives is because you gave first. That the reason, Lord, why we love other people is because you loved first. That the reason why we give generously is because you have given us everything that we so much need and more. You gave us your son. You gave us forgiveness. You gave us adoption. You gave us justification. You gave us sanctification. You have set it us for you. You gave us every spiritual blessing. I pray, Lord, that you continue to make of us generous people. Not so written Bible may be known, but for your name to be known. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are going through difficult times. I pray, Lord, that they may be able to taste and see that you are good. I pray, Lord, that you bring comfort and peace and joy in the midst of struggle. I pray, Lord, that they may be, may be able to see that you are very present in times of trouble. And we also pray, Lord, for the preaching of your word this morning. We ask for the presence of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit, Him allowing us to understand and believe and repent that He helps us trust you in the midst of everything that we go through so that, so that at the end of our days, we give you glory and we do everything for the well-being of your name and others. And we pray in the name of Jesus. And we all say, I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 13, it's verses 24 through 43. If you have your journals with you this morning, it's on page 68. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your fields? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, 
explained to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, how is everyone doing? Listen, I may be <clears throat> a little bit low in, in energy today, which is going to be a good thing for you. <laughs> Last night, I got the chance to uh, share or preach uh, the gospel to our students, high school students last night. So I got home at 12 at night. I prepped the sermon before, but that means that the energy is low today. Once again, that might not be a bad thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal. Uh, I want to welcome you all again. And the passage that we're looking at today, I think that is the perfect passage to follow Missions Fest. Today we're going back to the Gospel of Matthew. And if you remember two weeks ago, we started Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew 13, you find six parables that are very important parables. And a parable, if, I, if you don't remember, a parable is kind of an earthly story that talks about heavenly things. Parables are, are stories that Jesus made up to give us an understanding about what the kingdom of God looks like. And if you wonder what the Bible means, so the gospel means when they talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about this thing that Jesus came to establish in which God is king over every area and sphere of life. That is the kingdom of God. The first parable in Matthew chapter 13 is the parable of the sower, which is what I preached about three weeks ago, in which he says that the kingdom of God always starts with Jesus working in one place, the heart of men. He starts working in the heart of humanity by planting the seed of the gospel. So the parable the sower says that God establishes his people through the power of the gospel applied in the hearts of people. That the kingdom of God is only established through people. Today, we're going to look at another three parables that come in Matthew chapter 13 that, give, that, that will tell us four more things about the kingdom of God. Three more parables, four more things. We're going to talk about kingdom expectations, kingdom growth, kingdom hope, and kingdom power. Expectations, growth, hope, and power. Let's go with the first point. What are the kingdom expectations? The question that I'm trying to answer here with this text is, what is it that we, kingdom people, if you're a Christian, should expect as God is establishing his kingdom in this creation? 
What is it that you and I, as Christians, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, should expect as God is establishing his kingdom and this, in this creation? Now, the reason why I use the word expectations there is because expectations really matter. Whatever you expect of the kingdom affects the way you live your life. Whatever you expect of the kingdom affects not only how you behave, but how you think and what you expect the outcome to be. And I want to make the argument <clears throat> that in modern days, there are two, I'm going to call them Christian views. I'm not sure if they're super Christian, but we're going to call it Christian for a second. Christian views about what to expect in regards to the kingdom of God. And I'm going to call them the triumphalistic view of the kingdom of God or the escapist view of the kingdom of God. You got to keep that in mind because if you fall into one of those, that, that matches, that would dictate how you view the kingdom of God and how you live in the kingdom of God. So for example, if there's someone here that falls in the triumphalistic view of the kingdom of God, you probably have this idea that if you are a good Christian, that if you trust God with all your heart, that if you penetrate all areas and spheres of society, that if we put Christians in positions of power, eventually good will triumph over evil. And that as time goes by, there will be more and more good and less and less evil. In other words, this person believes and understands that as goodness, Christian goodness increases, evil will decrease. So for this group of people, the tendency is to have this hyper-optimistic view of the kingdom of God. It's this hyper-optimistic view in which we think that if we do things well, that if we are good Christians and we live for the glory of God and for the good of others, goodness will increase and evil will decrease. To a certain degree, this group of people are thinking about what I will call a Christian utopia here, thinking that we could get to a point in which everything that is corrosive would disappear. They see and expect beauty to completely overcome brokenness. They expect beauty to completely overcome brokenness. The tendency for this group of people is to be overzealous about Christian things. Once again, is this hyper-optimism about what life is supposed to be. You know, you know what's the problem with this group, though? <clears throat> that if the believer tries and do, and let's say we get people in positions of power, and things don't change, because that's not what we expected, then the tendency is to lose heart, to lose hope, and in the worst case, in some of the worst cases, to become skeptics of resentful or pessimists. Why? Because your expectations didn't match reality. From hyper-optimism to hyper-pessimism. That is that tri uh, that is these people that is, is, is looking for something, for beauty to overcome darkness completely. Now, the good thing about these people is that they believe that things can change. That's a good thing. The problem is with the expectation. Now, on the other hand, we got another group of people that I call the escapist view, right? 
in which this is a group of people that are very clear about what they see in the world. And they see all this darkness and brokenness wherever they go. But their approach to life is a little bit different. Their approach to life is about running. It's about hiding. It's about moving to other states. It's about doing different things so you avoid everything that is painful and, and, and causes pain. The attitude of this group of people is to divorce themselves for, from anything and everything that is broken. So they move, they run, they hide. This is what is interesting, at least from my observation. This is a group of people that move away from brokenness to create a Christian utopia somewhere else. You know what the problem is with this group, though? There's actually a few problems with this, in my opinion. That it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how much you run or you hide. You are exchanging brokenness here from brokenness here. Because regardless of where you go, there is brokenness wherever you go. Problem number one. Problem number two is that this group of people, because they want to escape, they neglect the commandment the Lord gave us to be light and salt in the midst of darkness. To seek the prosperity of our towns and the flourishing of our communities. The tendency for this group of people is to have this, what I call, spiritual passivity. Another problem with this view is that at the end of the day, we're motiva motivated by fear. It's almost like if we have this idea that God, God already gave up in this world or gave up on this world. So the solution is to move away. But the worst of all is that this group of people don't expect any change whatsoever. On one end, the triumphant group believes that evil can disappear in this creation. And on the other end, you got the escapists that believe that nothing can change in this creation. And what Jesus is going to teach us in this parable is that there is a third option, the Christian option, his option, in which we can see the kingdom of God from a completely different perspective. And I'm going to give it to you for free right at the beginning. That Christians always live at the intersection of beauty and brokenness at the same time. That Christians are always living at the intersection of beauty and brokenness at the same time. We are always living in between beauty and brokenness. That we cannot expect to be that we don't have permission to either be hyper-optimistic about life because there's a lot of brokenness here. But that at the same time, we can be over-pessimistic um, because there's still beauty. The Lord is still working. Christians are always living at the intersection of beauty and brokenness. Now, the question is, where do I get that from? Well, that's precisely what Jesus is teaching with this parable. That's precisely the image that Jesus is going to create in our mind and hearts with this parable. So, for example, look at what it says in verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now, notice that Jesus says that there are two kinds of sowing going at the same time. The good seed of the wheat... And at the same time, of the wheat, and at the same time, there is wheat growing in our midst. Verse 30, both grow together. Can you say both grow together? 
Both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. In one image, Jesus says that when we look at the kingdom of God and what the Lord is doing in this creation, we can see both beauty and brokenness growing at the same time. That God is working in his creation and the devil is working in this creation. That is not one more than the other. That both are functioning at the same time. They both grow together. And then he's going to explain what that looks like and what that is. And that's why in verse 37, Jesus says, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now, if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that the name son of man is the one... Uh, one of the names given to Jesus in the Gospels. The Son of Man is Jesus, the one that came to establish the kingdom. Verse 38. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. Notice what it says. We ought to expect that in this creation there will be people of the kingdom and people of the world. The good seed and the weeds going at the same time. Working in this creation, working in this world, side by side. And that's why I want, I want to make the argument that if you approach and you embrace the triumphant view of the kingdom of God, you're going to hit yourself in the head. Because as much as you try to do good, and as much as you are a good person, and as much as you evangelize, and as much as you share the gospel and your life with other people, and as much as you invite people to your house, brokenness is still in this world. There is no such a thing as a Christian utopia in this creation because there's always weed. You know how I know that sometimes we struggle with this? Because we ask the question, why God? I was just talking to someone that has one of their kids is struggling with something. And the question was, why can't we have a normal life? And in my head, I'm thinking, what's normal? This is normal. The kingdom of God is about God bringing beauty. And at the same time, the devil bringing brokenness. Did you know that that affects every single sphere of your life? See, for example, it affects your friendships. So if you have good friends, you ought to expect that your friends sometimes will be good and sometimes they won't be that good. You know how I know that? Because you are that friend. <laughs> if you are a parent, you ought to expect that sometimes your kids will do good and your kids will do not, they will not do good. You know how I know that? Because you're that kid. See, if you're married... I don't know who told you, and I know there's a lot of people here that have been married for years. But I know that most of us step into marriage thinking that this person was going to be perfect. I don't know who told you that lie, but that's usually how we think. And the reality is that in marriage, there are times of beauty and times of brokenness. And the person you married has a lot of beauty and a lot of brokenness. You know how I know that? Because I got married, and I'm the broken one. When you think of work, it's the same thing. Your work is both beautiful and broken. 
Actually, let me put it this way, and this is going to apply more, more for those of you that are younger, but there's no such a thing as your dream job. You know, modern-day society says if you want to find your good job, your dream, yeah, you have to match your abilities and your talents with your desires and your personality. And if you put them all together, you will find your dream job. I'm still looking for that job, people. <laughs> because every job has beauty and brokenness. And that's a description of you. And that's a description of me. We are a mess of beauty and brokenness. You're never going to be the person that you want to be on this side of creation. You and I, we're going to continue to struggle. Actually, in a time of repentance, I was repenting for like five things that came to my mind right away. See, the triumphant view does not help us. But the escapist view does not help us either. Because the solution is not to run. The solution is not to hide. The solution is not hyper-pessimism. Because the good seed is still growing. Because God is still working. God is still working in your friendships. God is still working with your kids. God is still working in your marriage. God is still working in and through your work. And God is still working in you. The seed is still working. Still growing. And to actually help us, what we will look at in the future, and I'll come back to that later on, Jesus gives us verse uh, 41. He says that at the end of times, the Son of Man... The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will, will weed out, um, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do, who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace. You know what that means? That one day, beauty will increase. At the second coming of Jesus, a judgment day, and all evil will disappear. Only then. Not before. Only then, in the second coming of Jesus, in one event, he comes, evil disappears, and judgment day happens. All again, at one day. Can you see why having the right perspective about the kingdom of God would determine how you live your life? Now, if you're wondering what your future is going to look like, then in verse 43, Jesus says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That is your Christian utopia. Not here, there. Not before, there. All the people have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and therefore are righteous by faith will shine like the sun. Beautiful image of perfection and reconciliation and restoration and peace and joy. Actually, you're going to see later on when we look at the second parable that Jesus says that the kingdom is like a tree. That it starts like a little seed and then grows to be a tree. In the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel, a tree is the symbol of perfection, restoration and renewal. And Jesus says that is your future. And that is the future of this creation. But not yet. But not yet. 
we continue to live in the intersection of beauty and brokenness. The good seed and the weed. The question we got to ask the text then is, how shall we live then? If that is true, how does that affect the way we live today? Point number two, the kingdom, kingdom growth. And here Jesus is going to show us the other two parables in this story. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. In verse 31, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Once again, this is Jesus talking about him working through the word of the gospel. Verse 32. Through it, it is, and, and though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of gardening plants and becomes a tree. You see the image there? Now, the, the first thing that I want you to see there is that it tells you that the kingdom of God always starts like a small seed. That even though God is powerful, he always starts, his tendency is to start with small seed. This is part of the reason why in the redemption story of the Bible, we, we see that God started just with one man and one woman. This is part of the reason why we see that God chose a tiny nation called the Israelites. This is part of the reason why we know that within the Israelites, he chose the smallest of all the tribes, the Benjamites, to pick his first king. Don't you find that interesting? It is because the kingdom of God is about a small seed, why he chose a greater king, King David, which, which he was the youngest of all, the, of all his siblings. It is because the kingdom of God starts with a small seed, why he chose Leah, the rejected Leah. It is because the kingdom of God starts with a small seed, why the, Jesus came to be born in a manger. It is because the kingdom of God starts with a small seed, part of the reason why Jesus was a carpenter with unpopular parents. It is because the kingdom of God is about small seeds. Why Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a tiny town. It is because the kingdom of God starts small, because it starts small, why Jesus chose 12 broken fishermen and a bunch of unwanted and undervalued women. Because the kingdom of God always starts small. But this is the beauty of it. That even though it starts small, it always grows. And continues to grow. And continues to grow. And continues to grow to the point that the text says that this small seed becomes this large garden. And then it becomes a humongous tree. You know why that's important? Because it tells you that the kingdom of God is about this good seed that is unstoppable, irresistible, persistent, relentless, and overpowering. Even if it starts small. Jesus is going to give us the same image in the, in the next parable. In the parable of the yeast. Look at what it says in verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like, the, like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through it. It started small, and it became unstoppable, irresistible, persistent, relentless, and overpowering. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I say that almost every Sunday. I'm sorry. I guess I like the Bible. 
But this is one of my favorite verses. I gave it actually to the ladies uh, from Place for You. It's, it comes from Psalm, 50, Psalm 57, verse 3, in which says that God will fulfill his purpose for me. God will fulfill his purposes for you. God will fulfill his purposes for this creation. God will fulfill his purposes for your life and your family and your friends and your work. God will fulfill, be, fulfill his promises because the gospel is unstoppable, irresistible, persistent, relentless, and overpowering. See, at the end of the day, as much as these two kingdoms are growing together, at the end of the day, God always wins. Yes, there is a, a growth of secular influence in the world today. Yes, there are wars all over the place. Yes, there, yes, there are abortions and racism and injustice and sig uh, a significant problems in society. Yes, there's depressions and anxiety that have gone to the roof. Yes, there's still going on. There's still, we, we still have divorces and adultery and broken relationships and abandoned kids. Yes, we still have that. Yes, we're still struggling with sexual immorality and gender issues and hate. And yes, we have enough evidence to believe that the kingdom of the evil one is at work. Amen? And yet, the good seed of God continues to grow and we continue to move forward. As painful as things are, <clears throat> you have to be able to see that the kingdom of God is still moving forward. That's part of the reason why we celebrated Missions Fest for the last two weeks. If there's one thing that we can learn from the book of Acts and first century church is that the more complicated things get in this world, the more Christianity grows. That the more persecuted we are, the more effective we become. That the more we hate it, the more we learn to trust God. That the more brokenness gets elevated, God also elevates beauty. And if that is true, then you should live completely different. And I want to give you four P's. Four different words that tell you how is it that you ought to live in the midst of brokenness and beauty. Ready? Number one. You must, learn, you must learn to be patient. You know, one of the, the things that we know about seeds is that they grow slowly. I mean, if you ever plant, like my wife loves to plant stuff in the garden, and I have no patience for that. Because she plants something at the beginning of summer, and I get to see the flower when snow is coming down. Because that's how seeds work. Therefore, we must learn to trust the goodness of God, the power of God, and the timing of God. Because the kingdom requires patience. Let me do some applications here. It requires that you're patient with yourself, you know. You're not the person that you ought to be. 
but you're not the person that you used to be. Because by the grace of God, he's still working in you. You remember that illustration that C.S. Lewis gave? He says that Jesus is like a carpenter that you invite into his house to fix your kitchen. And when you turn around, he took over your living room and your bedroom and the pantry and everything. That's how he's working in you. Another application is that you got to learn how to be patient with others. Be patient with your friends. Be patient with your spouse. Be patient with your kids. Be patient with people. You know, I am convinced that one of the reasons why the Lord made me a parent is so I learned how to be patient. Because as much as I want to change my girls, I just can't. I think that's the reason why the Lord only gave me two girls. <laughs> if the seed grows slowly, then we must learn how to be patient through difficult circumstances. Because the seed is still growing, even though darkness is still there. That's the first P, patience. Second P, presence. If the seed is still growing, and even though there's another kingdom that is still growing, but the seed is actually going to come and become a garden and a tree, then what you do and what I do really matters. And one of the things that the Lord calls us to be is to be faithfully present. P number two. Be present, faithfully present with your friends. Be faithfully present in marriage. Be faithfully present with your kids. Be faithfully present at work. Be faithfully present in your community. And I guarantee you that the Lord will use you to contribute to what he is doing in this creation. You know how important presence is? So and so important that we need the presence of God in order to survive. That's how important presence is. P number three, perseverance. And P number four, perspective. And this is going to take me to point number three, kingdom hope. You remember these verses? We read them already, but I want to show them to you. Look at it, in every single one of these verses, there's a beginning and then there's an end. In verse 24, for example, it says that everything starts with a good seed. That's the beginning. But then in verse 43, it says that that good seed will lead people to become righteous and, be, and shine like the sun. Can you see it? It all starts with a good seed, and then at the end, you got righteous people shining like the sun. Now look at verse 31. It says that the kingdom of God starts with a mustard seed. It's small. But then it says that at the end, it is the largest of the garden plants that become a tree. Beginning and end. You see it again in verse 33. It says that the kingdom of God is like yeast. It starts little. You can barely see it. Right? But it works its way all through the, through the bread. You got a beginning and you got an end. And I want to make the argument and I want to invite you to consider that it is with this image that we get both perspective and perseverance as we see these two kingdoms going at the same time. Let's talk about perspective, P number three. Why that image of what is yet to come is what helps you live this life. 
perspective. I'm going to use an illustration. Now, please forgive me because this is a right, it's, it's a movie that probably none of you guys have seen. In 1999, Bruce Willis uh, made a movie called The Sixth Sense. How many of you guys watched that movie? Shame on you. I don't even know why you're raising your hand. <laughs> and it's the psychologist, Bruce Willis, that is trying to help this kid that claims to see dead people. You remember that? He actually says, I see dead people, all through the movie. And this guy is trying to help him as much as he can, but as much as he can, how much as he wants to help him, he can't help him. At the end of the movie, you realize that part of the reason why he cannot help the kid is because the kid actually sees dead people. And you know how he knows, you know how he knows that he says dead people? Because the psychologist is dead. It's a crazy story. And then what the filmmaker does is he goes back and shows you all the scenes in which the kid is talking to the air. And nobody else could see the psychologist, which is crazy. Now watch this. When I watched that movie, that blew my mind. But then I went and watched it again. And you know what? The second time I watched it, it didn't do anything to me. Because I already knew how the story ended. I was not nervous about this story. I, was not, I didn't have questions about who, we, who was he talking to. Is he going to be able to help him or not? I had no issues whatsoever. I watched the whole movie again. I enjoyed it, but had no fear or questions whatsoever. Why? Because I knew how the story ended. I want to invite you to consider that the future, our future, because we know how the story ends, as much as we struggle, you don't need to struggle as much. As much as it hurts, you don't need to hurt as much. As much as we weep, we don't need to weep as much. You know why? Because that is not the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus wins. That the kingdom of God finally wins. That suffering ceases to be. And that gives you a completely different perspective. Everything that is good here is not as good to what is yet to, compared to what is yet to come. And what is painful here is nothing compared to what is yet to come. Can you see how the kingdom of God in the future gives you perspective? And number two, this image of the future also helps you to persevere. And I'm going to borrow this illustration from Tim Keller. And I used to before. But he says this, he used the example of about two people that are working in a factory. And both people are, do, are doing the same job, and it's a hard job, complicated job, and it takes forever to get done. The difference, though, is what they're going to make, how much money they're going to make at the end of their journey. One person is going to make $100, and the other person is going to make $1,000. No, not even, a million dollars. So during break time, they're having a conversation. And one person says to the other, the one that is making $100 at the end of the day, that this person says, man, this job is terrible. I can't wait to finish and go home. This is painful and hard and long. And all for $100. And then the other person says, I don't mind this job. I'll do it forever. I don't mind if it's long and painful and it hurts. What makes a difference? 
the million dollars. If you know what you're going to get at the end, it helps you persevere through these difficult times. If you know what you're going to get at the end, you can trust that the Lord is doing something and that the city is growing. If you know what's coming at the end, your perspective and perseverance in the present completely changes. So last question is this. How then we become people of the kingdom? Point number four, kingdom power. And this is one of those sermons that is like a good movie, I hope, that you want to see the ending, but there's a part two. So if you want to see how is it that anybody becomes part of the kingdom, where does the power come to persevere? Where does the power come to be transformed and want to join God in what he's doing? If you want to see where the power, where the power comes from, you have to come back next week. <laughs> because we will be looking at the next parable that explains where the power comes from. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are grateful, grateful, grateful that we are part of your kingdom. A kingdom, Lord, that doesn't promise that is not making any kind of false promises, that we're not going to struggle or have pain or suffering. Because even though you are working in mighty and powerful ways, we also know that the evil one is real and that he's present and that his kingdom is also being established on this side of creation. Or on this side of glory. And I pray, Lord, that you make of us people of the kingdom. With a kingdom mentality and a kingdom vision. That our expectations may be right. But that we don't lose hope. Because at the end of the day, you win. And the devil loses. Or loses. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make of us the people that you want us to be. And you allow us to see and understand and believe the things that we ought to understand, see, and believe. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say? Let's stand. We're going to sing a version of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It has a couple extra verses that I think that will be meaningful to us. And as we think about the beauty and the brokenness which we all live in continually, we know that one of the greatest things we can do is continue to turn our eyes upon him. Let's sing together.
our service, the exhortation is just that. Make sure that you set your eyes on Jesus. I want to remind you that every week as a, as, a, as a staff, we love to pray for you and we love to pray with you. So if you have any prayer requests, please let us know. I guarantee you someone is going to be praying for you. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, guarantees for us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming, church. We love you. You are sent.